Welcome into another School of Science Radio. I'm Gina Ganello, joined once again by Chris, Adam, and Brian. Guys, it's a much happier week this week. We've got some things to be happy about. Uh, a nice day yesterday as we're recording on Sunday, so Saturday when the game took place. Uh, things, you know, we'll get into it, but I, the result we were hoping for, and I think the result that most of us, uh, I expected and, and, uh, are very happy with, nonetheless. Three Nothing hurts points. and everything three is beautiful. Three points. <laughs> three points, yes. Yes, three points after a, a stretch of games that were rather disappointing and, and, you know, one of those games being the Arsenal game. And then despite us, uh, you know, not coming out with the result we would have liked to in that game, we still went with the same 11 in that one. And, uh, you know, it was a decision that Silva made and seemed to have paid uh, paid off and Adam, what do you think of that decision? Do you think it was the right decision? I mean, clearly, uh, you know, in hindsight, it looks like the right decision, but going into the game, what were you thinking when we, when he we went with the same 11? Yeah, far be it for me to say after we win 3-0 that the manager made the wrong decision, right? <laughs> um, I was a little yeah. surprised <laughs> more than anything. Um, I didn't, I did not think going into the game that Everton was going to press quite as high and as frequently as they did against Arsenal and West Ham. And that kind of did turn out to be true. But the reason that uh, Idrissa Ghana Gay and Tom Davis made sense as that midfield pairing last week was because we were doing that pressing. So I, I was a little worried when I saw we weren't playing that way and they were still in there that I didn't really know what was going to happen. Uh, obviously, it worked out in the end. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. No, certainly worked out in the end. Go ahead, Chris. Um, <laughs> or Brian, sorry. <laughs> He's drunk. Um, no, the <laughs> the big thing you get when you put Ghana and Davies in, even if you're not going to press, is Fulham's crap. And especially, you know, they had Sessegnon and... That was kind of about it. So you can get away with that lack of, you know, possession and quality passing in the midfield against the Fulham. And it luckily worked out, even though the signs were there, that it could have bit us in the ass pretty badly. Yeah, and I, I think it was, yeah, that- it was interesting, ultimately, um, that Ghana and Tom's passing numbers for the match were we're actually both pretty good. Um, you know, I think I think that what Silva did ultimately um, was kind of limit the <laughs> exactly what it was that they were going to have to do in terms of moving the ball. Uh, and I think we'll we'll probably talk about that more a little bit later. But ultimately, Silva asked them to do a, a limited, specific job in possession, and they were able to do it, which I think is a far cry from what we saw two weeks ago in, or, or uh, last week against Arsenal, where they were not able to complete more progressive passes, and that's often been their issue. I I kind of thought that that was uh, Tom's best game and since last season, for sure, and probably well into last season, if you think about it. Um, I didn't I didn't get mad at him really more than once, maybe at all. So that was uh, that was progress. Yeah, and I I think one of the big things. You know, even though Tom and Gunnar, they have a lot of similarities, one of the things I noticed in this was that Ghana was playing his normal, I'll say, press role. 
and and being kind of that first midfielder that the uh, that Fulham had to bypass. And then Davies was sitting a little bit, and he seems to have a little more success there because if he can pick off the ball or make a tackle, he doesn't have someone on him immediately, even when it's against a Fulham or a team like that where the midfield's not going to close him down super quickly. And then when he's got that extra second even, he can make a decision. Whereas against, say, an Arsenal or even someone that's going to press him a little more, he doesn't have that time, and so it doesn't become a complete... It does. It comes becomes a complete shit show. Well, it yeah, helps, I think it that, helps that... Tom um, when Ghana plays just out of his freaking mind. Attempted 10 tackles, and he completed all 10 of them. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and just, just, uh, just to put a, a further point on that... Uh, Ghana leads the Premier League in tackles with 36. The next closest player has 28. And, you know, we we can argue about whether or not you ultimately want that, him to have that many, but the fact that he's completing them with such regularity is a big help. Yeah, it uh, it certainly doesn't hurt. And I think that the other thing um, with the midfield and, and Tom having, having time to pass was that Fulham kind of – their midfield setup, obviously they're not necessarily teaming with midfield talent. Um, and uh, Tom Kearney came back today for the first time in weeks as well. But, uh, you know, Fulham basically played a 4-4-1-1 and they had Sari and Angisa sitting sitting deep. But that that one or, the you know, the center aggressive midfielder, the center forward, whatever you want to call him, um, was either... Sherla or Vieto based on the moment it kind of looked like they were interchanging between right and center and that's just not either way that's that's a striker that's an attacker that's not somebody who you're going to think of as a midfielder that's going to come and press you and win the ball off you so that gives you more time in the midfield to try to operate yeah well guys you know obviously things panned out like we wanted them to and Davies and Gay, and Gay both had pretty solid games compared to past performances and, and and I think all of us were happy with the way they played but the first half and the second half were very different games um in, in some senses and you know obviously the biggest sense is that in the first game we scored zero goal or first half we scored zero goal second half we scored three uh Brian we'll start with you what changed in the second half that really allowed us to really go forward more and, and create those chances and take those chances mm. I think ultimately it was just you connect on a couple passes. You know, I I had heard I actually I didn't get to watch the game live. I had to watch it a little bit before we're recording right now and I had heard, you know, how dire the first half was. And it was not a pretty first half, but that was more of a function of a lot of fouls, a lot of nitpicky stuff, a lot of blocks, ball goes out of bounds. There wasn't a lot of build up. But Everton had multiple opportunities. You know, Fulham even had a chance or two. So it wasn't, you know, I I don't think it was bad from a what we were doing. It was just so disjointed you couldn't get that key pass. And then in the second half they just, we got them. And then we actually scored, which is something we struggled with all year. Yeah, I uh, I couldn't agree more. It's It was almost entirely... Uh, just execution uh, when you get right down to it. You know, the the game plan very clearly from the start, as we've seen in in most matches under Silva so far, 
was just that we were going to be funneling the ball out wide and basically saying to the fullbacks and the wingers, you do the work of getting the ball forward once we win it. Uh, and then we're going to go from there once we get into the attacking third. Uh, and in the first half, they couldn't find the, they couldn't find that, that pass to kind of break the lines and get into the final third. Uh, we didn't have a dribble come off, you know, whatever the case may be. And in the second half, you know, on the, 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 the goals, almost basically every one of them has one kind of key pass from the middle third to the attacking third. I, I think about John Joe Kenny's out to Theo Walcott for Tosin's, the second goal, where the first half, that pass just wasn't coming off. Um, and in the second half, it did. And when it does, and you've got the players that we've got in the attacking third, the Sigurdsons, the Walcotts, the Richarlisons, you hope that eventually you get one to fall. And then we got <laughs> three. Yeah, and, and finally, Tosun connecting on one, which we all hope it's good for his confidence there, and he'll start connecting on a few more of those chances. Yeah, he ought to buy uh, Theo Walcott a stake because yeah. <laughs> I could have scored that goal. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Inch absolutely. perfect cross, and he just dropped it on his friggin' head. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, it's little things like that that can hopefully build some confidence. Uh, and, you know, I mean, it's not like Chank hasn't been in those positions before, but uh, really just putting one in the back of the net, seeing it get in there and, and may help him out a little bit. But we talked about Gilfie a little bit too. And, and, you know, he is, he's a very talented player, player, and this may have been his best performance yet in an Everton shirt, you know, aside from the penalty miss. Um, but Chris, we'll start with you as we, um, we talk about this. How did you feel about Gilfie? What, what stood out to you about his performance and why, you know, what made this performance better than others? Um, I think the main thing that kind of struck my eye was just how assertive he was. You know, he he missed the penalty and instead of kind of moping around about it and getting and pouting, he decided to realize, you know, I'm one of the best players on this field and I'm going to show you that um, that's the case. And he... You know, sometimes you'll see him try to make an extra pass or deflect responsibility of the attack, and he he really took it took the bull by the horns in the second half. But that his first goal, which was just an absolutely beautiful finish to the bottom corner, he actually started that move with the original pass down to the touchline. And I I think it actually might have been to Kenny. I can't remember exactly. Uh, somebody can correct me on that, but um, he made the nice overlapping pass to Kenny, and the ball eventually comes back to him, and he doesn't. There's no lack of decision. He just one times it into the back of the net, and you, you kind of saw that confidence come back around on his uh, second goal, where Bernard lays off the ball to him and he's ping, it's it's in again, and you you kind of think, man, if he if he's picking up confidence and willing to play this way moving forward, we're going to have a, a whole different aspect to our attack. And I, I think that yeah, certainly. Uh, and- Go ahead, the, Adam. The, um, the, the big thing, I think, today compared to most of his other appearances so far this season um, was basically, I don't know if Silva unshackled him or he unshackled himself, um, but he was pretty much popping up everywhere. And the, the part of the reason that at least at times it's looked like he's struggled or been out of the play is because we've been playing wide 
exclusively for most of the season. Uh, and it has left him at times kind of in a spot where you're not sure what his role in helping to build the attack was because he was planting himself in that central channel behind the striker. Uh, and today he did a great job of just going anywhere. You know, he popped up on the right in the buildup ahead of his goal. He was coming down from the left when he scored the second one. Uh, he had touches. His touches map for this game was kind of hilarious because he basically got a foot on the ball everywhere except where you expect to see a 10 playing. Um, and he needs to have that freedom to just go and do whatever the hell he thinks he needs to do if we're going to be playing out wide because planting him in the middle while wingers and fullbacks just do their thing, it's that's not going to get the best out of him. Yeah, and it was it was interesting, right? Because this whole the whole week into the lead up to this match, um, Everton Twitter, for lack of a better term, kind of just really burning him at the stake in terms of his overall production for his price tag, and it, you kind of got the sense that he's generally underappreciated. And you know, he took this. I don't know if he has a burner account, um, kind of pulling a page from Kevin Durant's book or what, but he really showed where his value is and, you know, just how good he can be. Well, and Chris is, you know, just going on to that, talking about that criticism and moving away from the game a little bit and talking a little about Gilfie and uh, uh, more specifically, is that fair or unfair criticism based on his performances now? Um, you know, I mean, obviously he's not, um, you know, one of the more uh, – flashy number 10s, I guess you could say. Um, but, he, you know, it seems like he, he does his job. Is this a fair or unfair assessment of him before going into this week that, you know, the, the Everton Twitter, like you said, for back, lack of better term, uh, was making on him? Well, I think you have to look at his numbers. You know, uh, obviously he, he boosted his goals total um, this week. But a- after matches today, he's averaging – 2.7 key passes per 90 minutes. Uh, only David Silva is better league-wide, and David Silva plays 77 passes uh, passes per 90 minutes. Gilfie plays 21. Uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> City is on the ball a lot more, and obviously that's no disrespect to David Silva or Manchester City, but it tells you not only about what Gilfie is capable of producing – but also that he is doing it with less touches than basically anybody else in the league. And, I, you know, I've got the key passes per match uh, stat up in front of me. And, you know, Gilfie averages 21.4 passes per match, like I said. Uh, the guys, the other guys around him on the list average 39, 35, 25, 45, 54, so on and so forth, passes per, per match. So he is by far the most efficient creator in the league because he's getting not that many chances on the ball. And when he does, it's generating something. Yeah. And I think that's kind of why he's underappreciated, but it, it's also, and I'd be curious with those numbers, you know, is anyone else in the top, you know, say 25, even close to the number of passes? Cause my thought is, say we don't, play enough through Sigurdsson in general, and that's why that 21 passes is so low, and so you never see him with the ball, and you're like, well, what 
what the hell's he yeah, doing? Yeah, what, what's he doing? Well, the, that's the, not his fault that he's not getting the ball. The only guy in the top ten who's really anywhere close is uh, is actually Mo Salah at 25 passes per match. Um, and then there's a couple as you trickle down uh, the the lower ranks. Uh, Jose uh, Holobos is my favorite. Uh, <laughs> he averages 28.3 passes per match, but he's 12th in key passes, uh, which is fun. Uh, Luciano Vieto, Andres Sherla, but now you're really getting pretty pretty deep into the weeds to to find guys who are close to him in that regard in terms of number of passes played per match. Yeah, well, but it, all, it does all, make sense. Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. But also, uh, you know, I think it shows his decision making and and how he kind of sees the field. You know, he's got two point seven key passes per ninety off of twenty one point four passes per game, uh, and he's also got a one point seven nine uh, expected assists per game, which is good for tenth best in the league. Uh, expected the assists same... overall. He's not averaging one a one point seven nine okay. expected assists per game. That would be insane. That would be insane. I, I read that. I read that a little. I read that, and I, th- I thought the same thing. And happy to have that clarified. Uh, but still, it, it shows that he's doing a lot with these passes, and they're not, you know, passes that you know are kind of, you know, just senseless passes. Sometimes he's being smart and, and making good decisions with them as well. Yeah, and, and I would that... just like to to briefly point out that for the mouth breathers and cavemen who will inevitably say, well, that includes set-piece passes. Hey, man, those shots that come off the set-piece passes from Guilty, those count too. And and surely guys like David Silva and, and Willian and the other guys toward the, the top of that overall key passes and uh, expected assists uh, list uh, also take set-pieces. That's yeah. just kind well, of part and parcel with the, the territory. Yeah, and like having one of the best set piece takers in the world is that's a that's a pro in my book i'm not gonna not really gonna mark that one against him yeah yeah I, certainly i do like right, that bro. ryan frazier is fourth on this key passes <laughs> I, numbers. I, could, I think i could probably do an entire podcast by myself just investigating what is ryan frazier short <laughs> extremely our next, short our next 50 million pound signing yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, baby steps here, baby steps. <laughs> you heard it but here first, folks. In the end, you know, we look at this, and 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 you know, he is he's been a key key factor for us. You know, he seems to be, you know, he doesn't seem to be as dynamic as some of the other tens in the Premier League, though. Um, but what kind of value is he providing for Everton when he isn't scoring? You know, I mean, I think I think it's. You know, the decision-making for me is something that, and I think for Chris also, um, along with him on, on the, uh, on the set pieces, I think those are two things that are extremely helpful to a team. And I don't know, Brian, Adam, if you guys have anything on this, uh, but what do you guys think he's providing when he isn't scoring, uh, to this Everton team on his limited amount of touches that he's had so far? Well, I, I think he, he, he keeps defenses honest in that central third. You know, if we want to play wide as much as we have been, and uh, you know, that's discussion for another day on on the the validity of of using that as our tactics. But clearly, that's where we're going right now. Uh, you you need to have someone available in between the lines 
in the center of the pitch or wherever that that space is going to pop up that's going to keep defenses honest and keep things stretched a little bit to keep those guys out wide from ended up running into cul-de-sacs. You know, somebody teams know somebody's got to be on Gilfie Sigurdsson. If if you give him space at the top of the box, he's gonna he's gonna score <laughs> like he did yesterday, or he's gonna find somebody else who's gonna get a good chance now. Whether that other guy will score, that's a completely different question, but he's going to create those chances. Well, and kind of related to that, where you have to have a guy on him, he is really consistent in terms of his overall level. You know, he may not always be scoring two goals a game, but you're rarely ever going to come out of the match and think, damn, Gilfie was really bad today. Um, and, and I think that that's kind of a nice a comfort level for the manager and the fans to have to where you know that Gilfie's going to be in the starting lineup. He's going to be dangerous and provide you things from set pieces and be a threat from outside the box. And unlike players like Morgan Schneiderlin, maybe, or Tom Davis, who can kind of ebb and flow with their overall performances, Gilfie's a little bit like having that starting pitcher where you know you're getting six innings, you're getting five strikeouts, one walk every fifth day, and you can kind of count on that. And I think with one last thing with Gilfie that I, I had escaped my mind until now uh, is what we've seen from him in the Arsenal match and the West Ham match. He is a very willing high presser, um, you know, and the, the, the number that we always talked about in his first season with the club was how he covered more distance in his last season with Swansea um, than any other player in, in the league. I don't necessarily think you want him running a ton because, uh, you know, you want him on the ball. Well, but, you you remember that Swansea team, right? It was uh, yeah, Gilfie Sigurdsson <laughs> and uh, ten guys. Yeah. Hey, you you uh oh, who was the striker with that team? Fernando Llorente. Llorente. Uh, yeah. yeah. No, don't don't you slight Fernando Llorente. <laughs> Somebody had to have a big old dome for Gilfie to put the ball off of. Yeah, exactly. Um, but the point being that he finding a number ten, a creative player of Gilfie Sigurdsson's quality, who will also you know, hear his manager say, all right, Gilfie, you might only touch the ball four times today because our game plan is that you and our striker are going to just be a friggin' nuisance on the opposing team's center backs, and hopefully you'll force a turnover or somebody will force a turnover and it'll lead to a goal. I have no idea when you're going to get the ball. Just go out and do it. And he does it. Uh, and again, he's not the quickest guy out there, um, but he is willing and he's smart with his pressing. And that's something that for a guy in his position, you don't always get. Yeah, and just in terms of his dynamism, uh, I'll just offer something perhaps a little bit more generic. Compared to other players who play in his position around the league, like Devin Silver or um, Christian Eriksen, for example, uh, Gilfie's a big dude. He's yep. pushing six six foot two, and you know, guys like that they don't move the same way, and that can appear as if. He's not as all action, but it's, you know, that's just kind of part and parcel with the, with uh, somebody of his size. Yeah. And, you know, I think we can all agree that, you know, he has been a, a great player for us and, and his decision making is really key. And, and, you know, when he's out there and he's playing his best and he's on his best, you know, well, it's not something we hate having out there on a consistent basis. Uh, and certainly, you know, something that obviously he'll have bad games just like everybody else will, but I think he's pretty, he's pretty consistent in the sense that he's, he's, he's always there when you need him. 
Um, but moving on from from Sigurdsson into a little bit of uh, some off-the-field talk, some stuff that took place this week. Um, and we'll start off with, with Pickford's contract. I mean, I think this is a huge, huge statement of, uh, of intent by the club and really shows an initiative on what they're trying to do here. And, and you know, there's there's a lot of different things in here. Most, uh, I guess, maybe surprisingly or, or most notably, there's no buyout clause in this. Um, guys, Chris, we'll start with you. Um, what do you think about this contract? What do you think this – uh, sh- the club is showing here, you know, going out and, and signing Pickford to this long-term deal. Yeah, so I think the biggest thing for me is just how refreshing it is from the player's perspective to see this level of commitment, right? Because, you know, you look back at, I think we can safely say at this point that Jordan Pickford is a budding star, if not a star already after his summer in Russia. And previously, at least recently, when Everton have had players at this ilk, like with a uh, John Stones and uh, Romelu Lukaku, they have not really wanted to commit themselves long term to Everton, and which you know that's obviously their prerogative, and I'm not going to judge them super harshly for that. But the reason that they haven't wanted to do that is because they didn't see anything at the club that made it worth their while to do that. And I think now that Pickford, with Silva and Brands in place, maybe sees that we're we're going in the right direction. It may take a little while. But this is a place where he's going to be able to grow alongside of the club. And that was really what encouraged me the most, I think. And yeah. I, uh, go ahead, Adam. Um, I, uh, I also think uh, because his position as, as goalkeeper, it's more important uh, there than it might be signing a player of similar quality elsewhere. Just because, as we've seen kind of across the, the Premier League, um, that – all it takes is, you know, one goalie wanting to leave or rumors of a goalie leaving or a goalie getting injured. And, and all of a sudden you're, you know, you're really, you're really in trouble. And I think about, you know, what Chelsea went through um, this offseason where Courtois decides, you know, I, I want to go play for Chelsea or for, <laughs> for Real Madrid, excuse me. Um, and then they have to panic buy Kepa for, uh, I don't know. I think the technical term was a billion dollars. Um yeah. <laughs> you know, so so to have yourself in a position where you know, week in and week out, you know who your starting goalie is going to be. He's going to be here. He's committed to being a part of this, and you're not going to have to worry about, oh God, what are we doing? Goal uh, for a long time, presumably, uh, is comforting, even outside of all the encouraging stuff that that Chris talked about, rightfully. And I, I think. One of the biggest things for for me, at least, was signing somebody who's a, a young and up and coming star, and I think that's important because you know we uh, often have been signing players on like uh, I guess you could we could start with the Ashley, Ashley Williams that are <laughs> older and past their prime and and and, and kind of trying to piece things together and and the club showing Yannick, a statement of intent here Exactly. We can, we can go down the list. We could go down the list, but I think the club showing a statement of intent here to sign these younger players and keep them and build a culture is something that we haven't seen in a while and something that is really important in terms of building a solid club with a solid foundation uh, and a good future. And I, that's one of my main things 
with the Pickford contract. Brian, do you have anything on that? Ashley Williams. Oh, goodness. How, why would you trigger us that way? We were having a good time. <laughs> and you talk <laughs> about Ashley Williams. For your weekly Ashley Williams update, he uh, conceded another penalty uh, yesterday for Stoke. Uh, it is, is amazing uh, to me that I'm, anyone could actually be as bad as he is. <laughs> I I don't really know how he still gets on the field, to be honest with you. Is like, it Stoke? Yeah, but have some have some morals. You just it's Stoke though. <laughs> they don't have them. I think I think it's less about having no morals and more about having no center backs. If I'm being honest, <laughs> they could always slide Cuco Martino over to the center. Could it be any worse? You know, I, I see you're saying that like it's a joke. I think that center back Cuco Martino would be an upgrade over Ashley Williams right I, now. I, yeah, I'm I happy. I disagree. <laughs> oh God. Center back Mason Holgate's an upgrade, and Center that tells you all you need to know. Mason Holgate is a substantial <laughs> upgrade over Ashley Williams. You heard it here first. <laughs> I said something nice about Mason Holgate. I mean, I, it's kind of a backhanded compliment, but I'm I'm going with it. I said something nice about Mason Holgate. I, I'm I'm really proud of you, Adam. Thank you, thank you. I do what I can. <laughs> as little as possible. Yes. <laughs> Um, Brian, any 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 closing comments here on the Pickford stuff? Just you know, it, we'll see what happens. I mean, worst case, it puts Everton in a great financial position, um, and I'm not too worried about how he'll play. I mean, we, you know, we talked what two three weeks ago about why he seemed down, and you saw. I mean, he arguably saved us at least two points today by coming out on that breakaway. That dear Lord, Fulham. Probably couldn't have made more of a mess of that if they tried. Um, well, neither could, neither could our defenders. It was kind of a Keystone Cops routine back there. Keystone Cop, because there was only one defender. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> um, but, you know, that was – most goalies aren't recognizing that touch there. And they're playing the, hey, he's taking a touch. It's going to the goal line. He's going to have to cut it back. I'm gonna stay, and then you don't you don't know what happens. So to come out there, that was a big move, especially at one nothing. And you know, he's I don't think Pickford's gonna sit and rest, which is good for everybody. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, no, and it's uh, it's an important important piece to lock up there, and good news from that standpoint. But moving on to some uh, rather unfortunate news, and some news that originally came out as seeming worse than it may actually be. The Yerry Mina injury, uh, Mina now injured once again. Silva coming out and seemingly saying that it is going to be less than less time off than uh, many expected it to be uh, off that, and, and many reported it, I believe. Um, and, and this kind of opens up a can of worms on a bunch of different things. Um, I do just want to offer Gary Mina specific. my foot. Um, I don't do a lot of physical activity, so it's here for the taking. <laughs> I, yeah. I'm not sure uh, that I, your foot would keep up with what Gary Mina tries to do. Yeah, that's that's probably fair. <laughs> but you know, in in the end, it, it, it we look at uh, we look at this past week with Zuma and Keen, and you know, kept a clean sheet. Is this a, you know, 
what does this Yerry Mina injury, you know, mean for the center back pairings as a whole? You know, are Zuma and Keane the new favorites to uh, stay in there and Yerry Mina's got to kind of earn his spot in there? Or is, uh, you know, once he's finally back from injury or whenever this mysterious player who we've yet to see put on an Everton jersey and play for us uh, gets back, uh, is he someone who's going to jump right in there? And Adam, we'll start with you. Well, I definitely think, uh, you know, after the West Ham match, I think it felt like, good God, we've got to get Yerry Mina in. Um, and when you look at the last two matches, I mean, we talked last week about that the Lacazette goal against Arsenal uh, is not one that you're going to fault the center backs on. Uh, the second one was was bad. Uh, but then they keep a clean sheet this week. Um, and that's kind of one goal that you're putting on the center backs across two games against teams that have been scoring goals. And uh, we've, we've, uh, we've said some not nice things about Fulham and most of them deserve, but this is a team that's capable of scoring goals. Um, and Alexander Mitrovic has gotten off to a good start to this season. It, it's, they, they are a team capable of scoring goals and we really mostly limited them to the one chance that, that Brian, uh, referred to earlier. Um, and there, there wasn't a whole lot else there. And especially when you consider that we were having a hard time keeping possession um, in the opening half, that's a pretty good statement on those guys. And if you keep that up for another couple of weeks, then maybe by the time Mina comes back, he does have to earn a place. Time will tell. And not only was it a clean sheet, but uh, we did not actually allow a single shot on target, which is really stunning. Um, if you consider our defensive struggles over the year, past couple of years. One thing I will say, too, because we've been talking a lot about Kurt Zuma, which makes sense given he's new and that kind of thing, but Michael Keane has played one of his best matches in an Everton shirt on Saturday. And, you know, head injuries are obviously very scary and very traumatic, but somehow he got donked in the head and got better. I don't <laughs> fully understand that, but... I just want to make sure that he gets his credit because I thought he was really good yesterday. And I think it's something that that we've, I know you and I have at least talked about, Chris, that we wondered, Keane obviously is not the most mobile guy out there, and that maybe is putting it kindly. Um, But he had gotten paired with with Williams last year, with, um, with Jags, and it was interesting to see him this year get paired with center backs who are mobile. Uh, even, you know, obviously, as has been noted many a time on this podcast, I'm not a big fan of Mason Holgate, but he's big and he moves real quick and he looked better alongside Holgate than he did alongside uh, Jaggy Elka or, or Williams last year. Uh, and he's looked even better with Zuma, uh, who is also quite athletic and, and can move. So I think... Uh, getting the right partner for him has helped to shield a lot of his deficiencies. Well, and you're right. And one thing with, with Keen too, is just managing your expectations of him. Like he's not John Stones. He's not a player, excuse me, a player of that caliber. He's just very consistent and he reads the game well. And he's kind of, you know, you're going to get a a six and a half out of 10 performance out of him every week with the occasional set piece goal. And, that was worth the, what, $24, $25 million that we paid for him. Yeah, and, and, you know, I think it's 
it's a good problem to have with these center backs all performing, uh, you know, or, or performing well um, and keen, you know, getting better and, and performing, you know, especially after that head injury, we didn't know how he was going to come back. You know, that's, again, a very traumatic injury, you know, could cause some people to be tentative to go in for some of those challenges, but it seems like he's back to his, uh, you know, uh, back to his normal self and playing pretty well uh, in the back there. And I think we were all happy with the performance that both he and Zuma put in um, on on Saturday. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see what Mina has to offer. And hopefully, you know, just for the sake of Mina not being out, just kind of see what he has. Hopefully he won't be out for much longer and he'll be able to uh, suit up for us on, on one of these weekends. But moving to a pretty busy week now that we have for Everton. A pretty, uh, a pretty busy, uh, you know, cup cup game this week and and uh, a game on the weekend. Let's start with the cup game, uh, Southampton. We expect any lineup changes, and Brian will go to you on this. We expect uh, Sylvan to make any lineup changes here. Uh, we expect him to kind of go out with the same strong lineup that he put out there on uh, on Saturday. And honestly, I'd be kind of disappointed if it's the same lineup. I think it's a great opportunity to get some younger guys in. You look at things, there's no reason we should be rolling Kenny out there for this game. Um, you know, unless Coleman is going to be back on Saturday. But even that, yeah. You know, it, it's an opportunity. Like, I'd love to see Bernard out there for at least a start, if not the full 90 minutes. Um, you know, so it'd be, Nice to see Lookman out there, but you know we 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 know that's that's not necessarily an ability thing. That's an attitude issue, right? I now. was gonna say if, um, if if Lookman doesn't play in this game, I think uh, we can pretty much call time. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, think I think we can pretty much write him off. Yeah, and I mean I know everyone talks ahead, about oh ahead, well we want to win tro- we want to win trophies and all that stuff, but. With the injuries we're at right now and just looking at how the season's gone, I'd rather rest guys. Hmm. That's uh, a, I, I, think I might that's a have to, uh, to disagree with you on this one, Brian, and, and largely because we've seen, uh, we've seen a couple of the, the bigger teams go out. Liverpool's out. Um, Manchester United is out. Uh, and with the the draw that that we got again, if we win against Southampton, obviously big kicker, um, is away to Leicester, which is winnable. we you know we'll we'll find out how winnable exactly uh, maybe this you know, at the weekend when we play them. Um, but at that point, if you if you can beat Leicester, you know then then you're starting to talk about being pretty close to to the end um and i think you know there are guys i would like to rest here you know i, I don't want to play uh i don't want to play ghana i think one of zuma or keen can rest and we can bring holgate in i think this is a good spot to give baines a run out um and yeah i definitely want to see Ber- bernard play but i don't necessarily want to see you know nine changes to the lineup that we saw today uh, if we see five or six and we're keeping one or two of the big guns out there. I think Richarlison is probably a good option. He should be fresh. What after all of that time he spent thinking about headbutting a dude? Um, I think the opportunity is there to potentially 
make something of this run, and I would not want to forego that opportunity needlessly. Well, and a couple of a couple of things on that note. Uh, Morgan Morgan Schneiderlin and Chink Tassoon have not played much um, recently. They've been substitutes. I think this would be a great opportunity to start both of them from the beginning. Um, and the other thing, too, regarding the draw, like, there's a couple of matches here that are going to see one team go through that is still not very good. So you have Burton Albion versus Nottingham Forest is going to turn turn loose another mediocre team. Uh, Middlesbrough versus Crystal Palace, Bournemouth versus North City. Like, <clears throat> there, if you if you advance past Leicester, there's there's a real opportunity to get yet another kind of crap team. It's it's only a little under fifty percent that you're drawing yeah. one of those one of the the winner of one of those matches. And and, and do you do you guys think that after uh, you know now that we we play this week, uh, which is different from everybody else who played last week, do you think that Silva maybe approaches this game a little differently now, seeing that some of the big sides actually are out um, and who we're going to be playing if we do uh, move forward in this in this uh, in this competition? You know, seeing that there's an opportunity there for the taking, uh, not that Leicester is, is a bad team, but we're not drawn against a Chelsea or a Manchester City, uh, and there's an opportunity to go further in this competition. Do you think that this maybe, that maybe changes his mindset on this game? Uh, I think it might, and I think, uh, I think that the other thing that's related in terms of having this match a week later is um, we've got Southampton on Tuesday. Leicester on Saturday, and then it's an international break, uh, which is an advantage that the other teams in the competition that played last week uh, didn't necessarily have that you can kind of look ahead and say, well, you know, if if we roll some of our, our big guns here three times in, in seven days, in, in eight days rather, um, that's okay because then it's an international break where hopefully, you know, some of them will be getting some rest. Uh, obviously, that's going to depend on who's going where on national team duty. Um, but it gives a different look than it would have had this game happened a week ago. Would you start uh, Kieran Dowell or would you stick with Gilfie? I think Gilfie's probably one of the guys I would prefer to see get a, get a rest because the situation in the center of midfield was so uh, dire for a while that he couldn't not play. <laughs> um but I also have not necessarily been impressed with Kieran Dowell so far. Uh, I I would lean Dowell because I think Gilfie is one of the guys I definitely do want to see rest. But and he's gonna be he's gonna be busy during the international break as well. Yeah, as as usual. Yeah. Yeah, and I think I think you're right. I think there's there's a couple guys who are gonna need to get some rest because uh, especially. Uh, you know, we're, it seems far away now, but that December slew of, of games is, is quickly approaching. And that's going to be a time when we're not going to get much rest for, for many of these, of these players that we have here. But, you know, real quick, before we move on to Leicester on the weekend, how you guys think this Southampton game plays out? Uh, predictions and, uh, Brian, we'll start with you. I mean, we just, I, it's hard for me to say we're going to win because, as everyone says, this sets up really nice if we can win. And, I mean, what, was it two years ago we went to the semifinals? Maybe three. But... Two or three years ago, but other than that, 
we duck out of this competition real quick. Um, and, you know, Southampton, eh, they're a little feisty. So, yeah, I, I kind of think this one, we end up going out on penalties or, you know, something stupid. <laughs> Isn't it always? <laughs> Adam? Um, I think Silva will, uh, will get a little bit of the new manager itch here where he's, he's out to prove himself and he wants to show the fans and the, the board that he's, you know, he's committed to getting silverware and all that, uh, hoopla. And I think he does go with a, a relatively strong side. Um, as Brian said, you know, Southampton, obviously not a great team, but one that definitely has some talented players. I'll be interested to see how seriously they take this game. Uh, I think it'll probably more or less match the the way that we do. Um, but I think what we saw against Southampton earlier this season was a pretty good indicator of what they are and what we are. And I think a similar scoreline with an Everton win is probably the place that we wind up again. All right, there you have it, Chris. What do you got? I'm I'm in a similar place to Adam. I think that you know, especially with this game at home, coming off a win, I think it would be a little bit um, discouraging to kind of put a halt to the uh, quote unquote momentum that we got from the win on Saturday. I think Silva will want to kind of build on that rather than changing a lot of a lot of things up. So I, I'm I'm trying to will this into existence more than anything, but I think we might see a, an actually a fairly easy win. That certainly would be nice. Uh, easy is uh, the foreign word around here. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. A foreign word around here. Uh, but hopefully, I mean, I think we have the talent. I think we showed that against uh, Fulham this past weekend. And then, of course, when we played Southampton earlier in the season, that we have the talent to beat them. It's just a matter of, uh, you know, again, execution and really the lineup that we put out there on on on, on Tuesday it is, right? Yep. Yes, correct. So it's really a matter of what we put out there on Tuesday. And now moving finally to, uh, you know, our last thing here and, and just really breaking down Leicester, who will not only be the team we are playing this weekend, but also the team that we will play if uh, we win this game against Southampton. So, uh, Chris, let's start with you. Some players to watch from Leicester uh, and really how they're replacing Mares, who was a very, very important part of their team and is now no longer with them. So I really want to just talk about Harry Maguire for the next 15 minutes, if you guys will indulge me. Um, <laughs> he's my favorite the slab head. Uh, but the real answer um, to your question is James Madison, who they spent a bunch of money on from the championship. And I'm always kind of skeptical of spending those big piles of cash on players from, from lower levels. But it looks like that he's really taken, taken on most of uh, Riyad Mahrez's creative burden He's already got three goals and two assists. He's averaging something like um, 2.35 key passes per 90. Um, he's way up there in minutes played alongside the rest of their their big starters and really pretty impressive for a player that that young and something that you know you kind of he's a he's a similar age to all of Everton's young players. He's played a lot at the England youth level with Kieran Dowell and Dominic Calvert-Lewin and Mason Holgate and those guys, but. He seems to have maybe advanced a little bit past them in terms of his ability and uh, contributions to a first team. And so he's, he's, he's the guy to watch out for, for me. I think they, they have him playing in the midfield, but he kind of, he kind of pops up all over the place. 
Yeah, and 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 certainly he's a also a player who who stood out to me as well. I think you know Everton actually were linked with him. Whether how, how concrete that interest was, uh, uh, you know, we know we'll never know. Uh, but a player that I think has been playing pretty well for them, uh, and and has really uh, you know uh, impressed, been one of the impressive players for them. But Adam, yeah. let's uh, move on to uh, you know talking some style here. Um, you know the Foxes' style is obviously a uh, um, a style that. Uh, may or may not contradict uh, or make make uh, Silva's press risky. How do you feel about that? You think uh, you think that their style of play is something that will really affect what's how Silva wants to play or how Silva has shown us he wants to play week in and week out? Uh, yeah, I, I think it it makes a a big impact. I think if we with the personnel that we currently have right now come out here and. Uh, <clears throat> and try to try to press them high and uh, force turnovers like that. It will be um, suicide, I think, is the technical term. Um, <laughs> that's just, you know, Lester are good at what they do. They counter you. They sit deep. They say, come on, come and get it, and then they'll spring you on the break. Um, and I don't, you know, I, Zuma and Keane have, have done well. Um, John Joe Kenny has done an okay job replacing, uh, Seamus Coleman, but I don't, I don't want to see John Joe Kenny or Michael Keane having to sprint to chase down Jamie Vardy after the ball gets launched over their head, uh, and trying to press high and play that kind of style, um, is conducive to letting Lester do that. I think that we probably, uh, we probably try to keep the ball. A little bit more. Um, it's a little more methodical because we don't want to want to get hit on the break. Um, you know that Lester. The the thing about what Lester wants to do uh, is that <laughs> it only works if your defense is good. Um, it only it works its best when its defense is good. And obviously, you know they defended really well. Wes Morgan was a a colossus uh, the year that they won the title. But as it stands in the league. They've conceded 10 goals uh, from seven games, which is a lot for a team that's still in seventh place, mind you. Um, but it, I think that we have, especially with Richarlison, uh, guys who could be capable of unlocking a deep-lying Leicester if it comes to that. And I would rather put the game in the hands of Richarlison in a situation like that than try to press them and force mistakes out of them out of the back. Just a, just a brief anecdote on Lester. You mentioned Wes Morgan, which reminded me of something I saw this morning. Uh, his defensive partner from that title team was Robert Huth. Mm-hmm. And Robert Huth was doing a, a TV bit this morning, uh, just kind of like a Sky Sports interview or whatever. And the, the, uh, commentator asked him, how do you win a title with the defense of Christian Fuchs, Robert Huth, Wes Morgan, and Danny Simpson? And Huth just didn't even skip a beat. He just deadpanned N'Golo Kante. <laughs> yeah, that would do it. Just ask Chelsea, uh, title yeah. contenders, Chelsea. <laughs> yeah, he's certainly, uh, definitely, definitely a good, a good player for them. Uh, back when they won the title, and certainly has uh, proved to that he can play at that level uh, at the highest stages, um, including the World Cup. But. Moving now to some of the player selection we're going to see this weekend in terms of the starting eleven and even uh, coming off the bench. And I kind of know, I kind of have a feeling after uh, your answer, answer Adam, 
uh, that I have an idea of where you're going to go with uh, one of these guys. <laughs> you're um, right. You do. But, uh, you know, Andre Gomes and Phil Jagielka may be back. Um, and then, of course, Schneiderlin and Tosun have been out of the starting 11. Brian, we'll go to you first. Any interest in seeing any of these guys back in the starting 11 or back in the uh, the first team uh, that, you know, takes on Lester and, and possibly a substitution appearance? Or uh, kind of stick with what we uh, what, what has worked? So I'm going to throw out an idea here. Uh-oh. And I'm sorry, Adam. Uh-oh. Brian's but... hot take corner back again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to pass on Jags. Yeah, I think um, so. Okay, I hope um, that wasn't your hot take. No, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm gonna, you know, pass on Gomez. Okay. I would like to buy Mason Holgate. Go on. So, I don't feel you know, so good. Uh, ultimately, <laughs> despite what we may try to do, unless we're just getting our asses handed to us, we're gonna have the ball. We're gonna be set up. We're gonna be trying to break Lester down. And we're going to get countered. I, I, I'm trying to think of a time when it really just doesn't happen. And at that point, Holgate's got speed. Not, not saying, you know, he's, there's a whole lot else going there, but he's got the speed. I mean, and, if, if the take is that he's the guy who can best keep up with Jamie Vardy, I do agree with that in a vacuum. Yeah, and I just look at it as, you know, we saw it against Fulham, getting caught out, and there wasn't a whole hell of a lot we could do. And I'm not sure that there's anything we can really systematically do that's going to feasibly work here. And so at that point, I kind of go with, hey, put the more athletic guy back there. And, Um, And maybe it's Holgate and Zuma. I don't know. I'd probably um, tend to go Holgate and Keen just because I trust that a little more. But uh, well, I think I think if you're going to take one of those guys out, though, it's got to be Keen because Zuma, you know, Zuma is not as as fast as Holgate, but he's not slow either. Michael Keen is slow. Let's that, yeah, that is let's true. Call it what it is. Um, I, I so I think if you're going to go Holgate, uh, I think it's probably Holgate and Zuma, and Oh boy, this puts me in a tough spot because there there is some there, there is some merit to that. I just you know this I, I talked about this uh, when we played West Ham and we tried to high press uh, West Ham and they hit us on the break. As as quick as Mason Holgate is, uh, he can't outrun the rocks in his head. Is the thing. I've, I've um, got the fix. I've got the fix though. If you let. Kurt Zuma give Phil Jagielka a 90 minute piggyback ride so Phil can tell Mason where to go. <laughs> yeah, that could work. Um, so I, frankly, to me, um, Holgate v Zuma or v Keen in this one is probably 50 50. Uh, Keen's got the brains. Uh, Mason's got the legs. I think that the bigger thing for me among the, the guys that we've, we've pointed out here, um, coming back, is that I would definitely, uh, and I don't, I don't, I think Brian might not like this, so I might be countering him here. Uh, I've got to have Morgan Schneiderlin in this lineup. Um, I, know I mean, if, especially if you're going to keep the ball, right? Like that's a yeah. That's yeah a must. Not, you know, the the best thing that you can do to prevent 
you know, the crushing counterattack from Leicester is not give up the ball in the midfield. Um, and obviously, Tom, you know, Tom and Donna did an okay job today. Um, and obviously, as, as we talked about before, they were asked to do a very specific thing, which was funnel the ball out wide and, and let it go from there. Um, but I think that the way that Leicester will play is a little less open. It's not necessarily always going to be that simple. And I think you need somebody who you know is going to complete more passes in a high pressure situation in the center of the park, uh, than, than Tom Davis will. So I think I, I play Schneiderlin in this one and I don't think twice about it. Yeah. Oh, I think absolutely. My, okay. Whoa. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Uh, my contribution to this question is, um, Andre Gomez, if he, which I'm skeptical that he's ready, but if he is ready for a substitute appearance, um, this might be a good game for him because he's certainly much better in possession than he is, uh, in terms of his athleticism. Uh, might, I might include him on the bench instead of maybe Nias or Calvert Lewin. Um, I'm, that would be something that I would look for, but I don't really want to see Phil Jagielka maybe even get off the bus at this game. Or any game, if we're being honest at this well, point. Yeah. Got, got yeah, I, yeah, and that's yeah, nothing, I mean, you know, it's nothing against Jags, who I think we we all have a lot of respect and admiration for, but I mean the fact of the matter is that he's pretty much gotten passed on the depth chart by Mason Holgate at this point, and that's probably saying enough right there. <laughs> there and, it and is. When, <laughs> and, and when healthy, we have the center backs that can uh, take over that position in a uh, good manner, as opposed to trotting. There's no need to trot him out there. Yeah, uh, with the the help that we have there and the. I guess you could say depth this, um, that we have there at that position this year. This feels like a good time just to remind you guys that Matthew Pennington started in a Merseyside Derby last year. Oh, God. He scored. He scored, Chris. He scored. Yeah, but uh, no, you, no, you could have scored that goal. It just adds to the legacy of that making no sense and just being a thing that we all the, have to admit the, happened. The sad, the sad thing is – him scoring that goal distracted from him just being utter dog crap the rest of the game. Yeah, no, he was not. I mean, obvi- where where is he now? Where is he on loan? It's somewhere Ipswich. in the championship, right? Ipswich. Yeah, Ipswich. They're Ipswich like last. Oh, good. Uh yeah. So, <laughs> I, so I, I think it's probably a good. That's actually a decent point to bring up. That even you know with the guys that we have now. Our like emergency, like oh my god, panic fallback plan is Phil Jagielka, and even very old, and that's where he is right now. Phil Jagielka is still a much better oh crap, what do we do now option than Matthew Pennington. Yes, <laughs> correct. Hey, the I one we thing we, on we can remember: Matthew Pennington continues a line of. What the fuck goals from defenders in the Merseyside Derby? That's, that's true. true. He learned from Jags on that one. You've got that's a good point. And I mean, you learned it from Dan Gosling. Well, <laughs> well, Dan wasn't a defender. Wait, let's let's not go on a tangent about Dan Gosling because we'll be here all night. That's <laughs> <laughs> a Premier League job. Yeah. Again, let's let's not because I could talk about Dan Gosling for weeks. I, I do I do uh, want to do an episode just talking about obscure Everton players at some point because I feel like I could talk about that for a long time. <laughs> we got we got the international break coming up. We can do it. Then. That's true. Oh, that's see, you shouldn't have said that because now he's really going <laughs> to want to do it. <laughs> don't don't act like you you couldn't you couldn't get down with some Samuel Eto'o talk 
Oh, just because I could <laughs> doesn't mean I should. It doesn't mean anyone would listen. <laughs> this is true. I think we need to shut this conversation down right now and uh, move on to some predictions. Uh, we weren't that this far game. from me bringing up Gerard De La Feu, so, oh, there it is. <laughs> oh, my God, this guy. This and... Guy. <laughs> All right, predictions. <laughs> We can, we can end the podcast now. Chris has gotten his Gerard Delefeu, uh, comment in. He has his mention, even though he does not play for us and has not played for us for a while. Uh, but guys, predictions. Um, Brian, we'll start with you. What do you think for this game? I think 1-1 draw. And that's about all I got there. This just doesn't seem like a game we're really gonna win. Uh, Adam? Um, I think, as I said, I think we'll probably go pretty pretty heavy at the Southampton game midweek, um, and hopefully we'll win that. Um, but I think that the upshot will be that we'll get the other side of that squad rotation uh, in the Leicester match. Uh, and as we said, uh, it's not necessarily a team that we match up particularly well with. Uh, we're on the road. Uh, I'll say Leicester... 2-1, um, hopeful that that we could nick a point. Uh, we definitely can. I, I just, I think that we'll make one defensive mistake too many and Jamie Vardy will punish us. But he's on my, uh, he's on my fantasy team and so is James Madison. So, I mean, you know, it's not all bad. <laughs> Chris? I uh, can't bring myself to predict two Everton wins in a week. That just feels a little bit dirty. So I'm, I'm a little bit more in Brian's camp. I'm going to say 2-2. Two, two. Well, there you have it, guys. I'm kind of in. Uh, I'm, I'm with you guys as well. So I, I think we're, I think we're getting a draw out of this one. I, you, you always got to account for the one mindless Everton mistake that's made at least once a game, and and against a team that well, does Brian, not match up. Brian Go tried ahead. to put Mason Holgate in the lineup, so I mean we're halfway there. Well, <laughs> I mean, if if we're gonna say that we average one, well, you have to acknowledge that Mason Holgate on him. But just on his own average is one, so that's two. And that's why I said we'll lose two to one. <laughs> there you go. There you go. It all adds up in the end. Um, but, yeah, I, I think the counterattacking style is definitely something that's going to be interesting to see how we deal with and how we come out. It will give us a little bit of an idea of how um, Silva will approach these situations against teams that don't necessarily match up well against us. And I think we end up with a draw. Um, hard to see. Like Chris said, two Everton wins in a week. But that's all we got for you guys here today. Uh, you know, we got the game on on Tuesday and, and then again on Saturday. Hopefully, you know, by some stroke of, uh, of luck, we get two wins. Uh, that would be pretty amazing. Um, it'll be, be a good week and a lot for us to talk about next week. But that's all we got for you guys this week. Talk to you guys later.